Good morning, Capital City Church. I love that passage from 1 Thessalonians. It always makes me think about funerals because uh, I read it so often in funerals and it's just such a poignant, poignant passage and then to go into that song just... I'm convinced that one of the reasons we don't make better choices as believers because we don't have enough focus on eternity. We focus a little bit too much here and a little bit too little on what's coming. Right? So let's uh, read together. Uh, We're going to be in Numbers 21. We're going to read chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? How many times have we heard this (laughs) in this story? But let's be gentle because they were in a frustrating situation. This is really important. Don't miss the impact of this, not just this statement, but this attitude. For there is no food and no water, and we, what does it say? We loathe this worthless food. They were talking about manna. We loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, uh, which actually is not a fantastic translation. It was probably actually a copper serpent, even though we always think of the bronze serpent, right? So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of His Word. So we're in a series called Exodus. Uh, we uh, are. This is week 13, and if you got a note sheet, hopefully you got one of those on the way in, our sermon notes. Uh, you can kind of follow along. We're going to be filling in some blanks. We're going to be talking about some Scripture. We're going to actually fill in some pretty important blanks today. Uh, not that they're not all important, but... Uh, Exodus, uh, in this series, again, part 13, we'll finish this series next week. Um, So we talk about moving away from something and moving towards something. That's been one of the underlying themes as we've worked our way over the past 13 weeks or so. We've had a break in there, I think, somewhere. So 14 weeks, uh, I've been working our way through, and there's this sub-theme, right? We're moving away from something. We're moving towards something. God didn't just, so the, you know, this is the story of the nation of Israel and their slavery in Egypt and how God set them free to return to the promised land to serve him. And that second part is really important. God didn't just set them free so that they could go do what they wanted to do. God didn't just set them free so they could follow their hearts, right? Uh, have you ever figured out that sometimes when you follow your heart, you get in trouble? Right. So God set them free from something, but he also called them to something. So it's not just about what we want to get away from and what we want to escape, 
but it's also about purpose and what's ahead of us and what's forward in front of us and what is God calling us to next. So that's been a sub-theme through this series. Today, that sub-theme bubbles to the surface, right? Uh, so our sermon title, uh, as you see, is Leaving Misery Through Repentance. Uh, the story of the bronze serpent or the story of the copper serpent. Uh, you probably have a footnote in your Bible. I have one in mine that says it was copper, uh, which is interesting when you get into the color. What color was it? And was there, you know, symbolism or behind the imagery of this serpent that Moses made? Uh, but the most important thing is this. Today, especially, it's about leaving something and moving towards something. And I got to tell you, listen, this, it, like if you're visiting with us for the first time, Thank you. We're glad that you're here. And I'm going to do my best to, to um, talk about this in a way that doesn't leave you behind and so that you can follow along and identify with us. But, I mean, you're walking kind of into the middle of a story. We often do this as a church. We'll take a long journey over multiple, multiple weeks through a book or through a story in Scripture. So, if you weren't here last week, just indulge me for a second. But most of you who were, um, were here last week. Uh, that was a heavy sermon. I just got to be honest with you. It was heavy for you. It was heavy for me. Uh, you know, somebody came up to me afterwards. We were done. We had packed all this up. Did, you guys know that when we get finished here, it's not magic. Like Cinderella's elves don't come in. And, and some of you are a part of that. Like people pack all this up and they stack chairs. So many of you help with that. And we were done and the gym was empty. And we're walking out and somebody came up to me and said, you just look really tired. And I said, I am. That was tough for you to listen to. And it was just as tough for me to talk about because God had been getting after me for a couple weeks leading up to that because he convicts me first, right? I don't get to escape these truths. They, and they hurt me the same way they hurt you. It was heavy. I got good news for you. Today's fun. Today's, it is. I'm telling you, today's a celebration. And on the surface, you may hear that and say, wait a second, I just heard the text that you read. <laughs> That's not fun. Actually, when you really take your time, catch your breath, and walk methodically through this story, you find that even though up to this point, it feels like Israel just keeps getting it wrong. Like, th that's one of the themes. They were trying to get out of Egypt, and their, the obstacle was Pharaoh's rebellious heart. Once they got out of Egypt, their obstacle became their own rebellious hearts. And that's kind of what we've been talking about, right? That's the obstacle in your life and my life. What I love about this story is they got it wrong, but then they got it right. And it's never too late to turn the corner. It's never too late to get it right. So we're leaving misery through repentance. Uh, in fact, Gordon Wenham says this, and I think this is fascinating. I, I, I'm, I'm just quoting, this is a quote from him, but he wrote a fantastic uh, commentary on the book of Numbers. He says this, this is the last recorded occasion that Israel grumbled about their food and yearned for the delicacies of Egypt. How fun is that? Maybe they turned a corner. Because the truth is, we've all been wrong, correct? Oh, come on. Don't lie in church. We've all been wrong, haven't we? Yeah. Confess for your neighbor if you can't confess for yourself. <laughs> and by the way, they're confessing for you. We've, have you ever been like not just wrong, but painfully wrong? I mean, it hurt. 
Maybe even it hurt physically, right? You realize that you, you have been wrong, I made the wrong choice, and it's like there's some pain going around. There's some suffering going around. Here's what, I, and I'm just, this is like full disclosure, okay? And some of you are like, you're church people, you're like me, you've been in church a long time, right? Some of you are, this is like a new thing to you, right? And then some of you, maybe this is your first time in church in a long time, or maybe ever, so for all of us, we're all in this thing together, right? For all of us sitting here, uh, my goal this morning, I'm just going to tell you up front, this is not a sales pitch. I'm telling you ahead of time where we're headed. My goal is to convince you of the need for repentance in your life and in my life. No matter how you would right now orient yourself to God, whether you would say, well, I'm not sure there's a God or probably there's a God, but I'm probably not particularly close to him, or I'm trying hard to pursue him. I'm serious about my faith. Um, somewhere on that spectrum, most of us would fall. Um, this is about the need for initial repentance and then ongoing repentance. And oh, by the way, we're going to also define what repentance is because it's not necessarily what we all think it is. When the Bible talks about repentance, there's a very specific idea which might not be the first thing that comes to mind for you. There are really two applications here, okay? If you would consider yourself a believer, you're a follower, you have fully put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and you trust in Him and His sacrifice on the cross to forgive you of your sins, right? If that's you, repentance for us should be a lifestyle. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a this is how you get through, like this is the gateway into Christianity, and then you don't have to do that anymore. Now, you've trusted in Christ, but the point of growing as a disciple is that the Christian life is intended to be an ongoing life of repentance, where we keep coming back to God. That's what we did at the beginning, right? When Tim, one of our elders, Tim Schultz, came up here at the beginning and we did confession, that's the point, is that we repent. We repent uh, we, we continue to turn back to God, right? So if we're believers, that's the application for us. If you're not sure, like you're not a church person or a Bible person or however you would categorize that, right? If, if you think you weren't included in the first description I just gave, like for everybody else, right? For us, it's about, a, for you, I should say, it's about an initial placing of faith into Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. But that begins with the idea of repentance. So actually repentance is the gateway into the Christian life. You just don't leave it behind once you're in. Well, I don't have to do that anymore. Oh no, you and I, as we grow spiritually, as God calls us deeper into discipleship, he's going to call us deeper into a life of repentance. So we're going to unpack that together this morning. Uh, where do we land on this? Like, who's repentance for? This is the first point in your notes. Repentance is for the loved, but wayward. Hey, spoiler alert. That describes 100% of the people in this room. The loved, but wayward. And if you think it doesn't describe you, if you think you've got it all together and spiritually you don't make any mistakes... 
we should talk after the service is over. That's not, that's not true for any of us. Like we, that, we all need repentance. We are wayward. Maybe for you it's small things, right? Maybe for you it's, no, I'm, I'm making progress. I'm doing well. But there are still areas of your life, there are still precincts of your soul that are kind of, have, we have these little minor rebellions that have to go be quelled, right? This is what it means for us to continually come back to God. Listen, I would remind you of this. As tragic as this story sounds, and, and you have to remember this as one of the threads that's woven through the story of the Exodus. Listen, in this story, no matter how bad you see it get, they are still God's chosen people. They are still loved, right? They're still redeemed by blood because at this point the, the Passover has been instituted and they're celebrating it every year. They're redeemed by blood, by faith. They're redeemed by covenant. No matter how, what you read in the story, God doesn't stop loving them. And God doesn't stop loving His wayward children. No matter how wayward we are, now, he may discipline us, which is what good parents do when they have wayward children. He may discipline us, but he actually does that even from a place of love. We're going to unpack that more in just a second. Repentance is for the loved, but the wayward. Why were they wayward? Like, what was the thing? And, and, and here, listen, I feel like I say this every week. We don't need to be so quick to be judgmental about the Israelites. Yes, they were wrong. But they were also us. Okay? We get it wrong too. And it's easy for us with, if you guys have heard me use this term before, chronological snobbery. We sit where we sit now and we look back and say, well, if I had been there. No, if you had been there, you would have been right caught up in it with everybody else, right? Because this ultimately is about the human heart no matter what year you live in. Uh, they were frustrated. They were frustrated. That's how the story begins. They set out. They have to go around the land of Edom. Please see if this sounds familiar. They're supposed to be headed north and west. And they ask for permission to pass through the land of Edom. And the leaders, the rulers in the land of Edom say, no, you can't come through here. We will attack you if you come through here. So instead of going north and west, they find themselves going south and east. They're backtracking. Have you ever backtracked in life? Come on. You miss a turn. Uh, financial things happen. You lose a job. The market goes upside down. Maybe your retirement isn't what it was. We, when we feel like we're making reverse progress, especially some of us in the room are really motivated by progress, right? When you're backtracking, you can get frustrated. Hey, check this out. When you get frustrated, you can make really bad decisions. Have you figured that out? When I'm frustrated, it's probably a good time for me to figure out how to keep my mouth shut and not make any decisions, right? They were frustrated. But here's the thing, very quickly. Why did this story go the way that it went? It's because actually they were profane. That's in your notes. They were frustrated and they were profane. And I don't mean they were using dirty words. But they were saying ungodly things. This food that they make this statement about, remember we loathe this worthless food. Psalm 73 tells us that this was the bread of heaven. 
By the way, this is also a type of Christ. The God who provided it. This is a type of Christ. And it was careless words for sure. And they may, listen, they may not have understood the ramifications of what they were saying. And sometimes you and I don't either. Which is all the more reason, and I'm preaching to me right now, all the more reason why we should be very careful with our words. Because we don't always know the things that we're saying. We don't always know the spiritual import of the careless words that come out of our mouths. And along the way, they were calling the bread of heaven vile and despicable and literally worthless. By doing so, they were condemning not just the bread, but the giver of the bread, who is God. This bread had kept them alive for 40 years. I know they got tired of eating it, but they were alive, and they were nourished, and they were here, and they were, in essence, spurning the grace of God. That's what they were doing. So here's the question. What do you do when it dawns on you that you're headed in the wrong direction? I don't want you to answer that out loud, but that's not a rhetorical question. I mean, quite specifically, what do you and you and you and that guy in the back, right? All of us. What do you do when it dawns on you that you're headed in the wrong direction? What is your response? Because they make this statement clearly in the text, they make this statement, but it becomes pretty evident, God makes it very evident, that they were headed in the wrong direction. He sends serpents, and even the one, listen, they start getting bit. Fiery serpents probably has something to do with how it felt when they were being bit, uh, the fiery part, right? Uh, we don't know what the serpents were, we just know that it hurt and it ended in death for many of them. By the way, Still loved. They were still loved. But the ones who died weren't going to get to see the promised land that they had walked so far and worked so hard and followed God towards. God still loves them. But they were going to miss out on something. We unpacked that last week. What do you do? Please look at me. What do you do when you are sincere but sincerely wrong. Did you know that's possible? I mean, we could hook a lie detector to you and you would pass it with flying colors. You mean it. But you're still wrong. I've been there more than a few times. What do you do? Well, biblically speaking, this is a beautiful picture of the idea of repentance. And repentance is not just a theme that you find running through Scripture. It is one of the primary themes that you find running through Scripture. Through the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament, much of which was written in Greek. Which These are not just different languages. These are different cultures. These are different ideas. These are different contexts. And so when you bring these two ideas together, repentance, the Greek word in the New Testament that's used most of the time 
when you hear repent or repentance, right, the verb or the noun form of it, is this idea of metanoia, metanoia, right? And so this means you change your mind and you change your direction. The changing of our mind is really kind of the New Testament context. That's like at the base of the word, that's what it means, In the Old Testament, it was really about a change of direction. In fact, some of the passages in the Old Testament, when you see an army retreating, it literally means that they are repenting, like they are returning. They're going back. They decided they were headed the wrong way. They changed direction, and they went back. Please hear me and look at me. For all of us in here, no matter where we are spiritually, repentance is us saying to God, God, I agree with you. And I'm going to reorient myself accordingly. This is not just some metaphysical in my mind, I think you're probably right. No, I 100% agree, listen, that you're right and I'm wrong. And I'm going to reorient myself accordingly. Why is that important? Because I find in my life, I think it's probably true for more than just me, but certainly it's true for me. I find in my life that so often I don't really want to fully admit that I was wrong. (laughs) Listen, so I ask God to reorient himself toward me. Come on. It's a laying down of our arms. It's a return. It's coming back. See, repentance, we think of repentance as sorrow. And that is an element. Please hear me. But repentance, scripturally and theologically, is not primarily about sorrow, although sorrow accompanies it and sorrow always comes first. Repentance is not primarily about sorrow. It's about change. It's about going in a new direction. Now, it's not about working or or like it's up to you. In fact, the whole point of biblical repentance is changing your orientation, right? So that you're casting your faith. We're going to unpack this in just a second. You're actually looking in faith to God. But in doing so, I am going to take whatever action comes out of this repentance, what, whatever the fallout for this repentance means. Like if I genuinely believe that I was wrong and God's right, then that's, they're gonna, like that's going to ripple, in my life, and I may not even understand all the ways it's going to ripple, but I'm just deciding right now that for whatever it means for me, I'm just in faith, I'm going to move forward, not even understanding all the implications, I'm just going to take a step, and I'm going to reorient myself to who God is. And one of the most fascinating pictures to me, which is in the New Testament, is in Luke 15, what we know as the story of the prodigal son. It's actually a parable that Jesus told And really, the point of the story is two sons, not one. But for the sake of time this morning, we're going to talk just for a minute about the story of the prodigal son. So, and by the way, as a reminder, this is not a true story. It didn't actually happen. The point of a parable is it's an illustration. It's a story that didn't happen, but it could have happened. And because Jesus is the master teacher, I'm just telling you, his parables are fire. Like, they are amazing. Because 
This is what we deal with as speakers, and some of our guys in here are like growing as preachers and as teachers, right? One of the problems we find with, with illustrations is that an illustration is an analogy, and so often the analogy breaks down. So there becomes an art to using an illustration because if you push it too far, it doesn't make sense anymore, right? It's just a representation of something. Jesus' illustrations don't really do that for the most part. They're just amazing. This is one of those illustrations. So very quickly, the story of the prodigal son. I'm giving you the Tim version, right? Because uh, we really just want to read a couple of verses. I, but, you know, we're going to preach this at some point because I just love this idea. So uh, Jesus tells this story that a man had two sons, and the, the man was obviously wealthy. And the younger son, who didn't stand to inherit as much, he was the younger son was obedient, although we wind up finding out later it was all kind of external and going through the motions, right? The younger son more or less comes to the dad and says, hey, let's pretend you're dead. That's In their culture, that's what he would have said. I want my inheritance now, which for them it would have meant like just give me half of your stuff, or actually it would have been a third, because the older got two-thirds, the younger got one-third if there were two kids. Give me the third that belongs to me. I want you to liquidate the assets that you need to liquidate so that you can just give me the money, and I'm out. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I want to live in your house. I don't, I just wa- I don't want you... I just want your stuff. And so for whatever reason, again, it's not a true story, so you kind of scratch your head over this. For whatever reason, the dad says, okay, sure. We'll liquidate it. Here's your money. Well, he goes out, and he lives it up. You know, he's going into however you would interpret that, clubs or what. He's just, he's making it rain because he's got the money. Then what happens? He runs out of money, and he finds a job, and this is when things kind of are are circling the toilet bowl. This Jewish boy finds a job feeding pigs. That's not a great look at all. Then it gets worse. He winds up, as he's feeding the pigs, realizing that he actually is so hungry, man, their food looks pretty good. Like, I wonder if I could fight them for that food, right? Just take their food and eat it. That's, man, you've hit bottom at that point, right? So, we step into the story, read a couple of verses, Luke 15. But when he came to himself, say it with me, but when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, when it dawned on him that he had been going in the wrong direction, Listen, I'm telling you, you got wayward kids or a wayward spouse or wayward whoever that you care about and you love, that's what you should be praying for, that they come to their senses, that they came to themselves, right? He came to himself. When he did so, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? In other words, I don't get to be a son anymore. I sold that out. I sold my dad out. I don't deserve anything. I, like, it's over. And yet, what does it say? I will arise. Say it out loud. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Everybody looking? 
This is what I think is one of the most fascinating aspects about the story of the prodigal son. And I think we miss it. Listen. The son had to return to the father. The father loves the son. And if you remember the story, he comes back to the father, and the father sees him when he was a long way off, and he has compassion on him, right? And he winds up saying, listen, I love you. Let's have a party, my son's home, which is not what the son expected, and quite honestly, not what the son deserved. Listen, look at me. The party only happens at home. God doesn't throw parties in pigsties. Just let it wash over you. Because I'm telling you, the number of times that I've had to say this to myself and to people that I'm shepherding over the years, like we want the party. But you got to come home. And when you come to your senses, you realize, I don't need God to join me in the pigsty. I need to have the faith, which, by the way, is all he had. He just had faith. I think if I go back, he'll at least accept me enough to make me a servant. The beautiful news of it is that he was fully accepted as a son. I mean, come on, moms and dads. What would you do? Some of you have done it, right? Or how about this one? For some of us, our parents did it for us, didn't they? They're waiting and watching, looking down the road. Because that's what parents do. What would our perfect heavenly father do? Of course, that's what he would do. So here we go. Here's a working definition for us. Repentance is a change of mind that produces action. It's a change of mind that produces action. Now, what I want you to hear very clearly, I'm not saying you have to work or do something in order to be accepted by God. But I think it's important that we include that last part of that statement because it's not just that you change your mind and then you never do anything about it. Oh, well, he's probably right, but I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. No, that's not biblical repentance. It's a change of mind that produces something. And could I just say this to you? It takes an incredible amount for all of us in the room. Whether we're repenting for the first time to put our faith in Christ initially, or you've been a believer for 50 years and you still know that there's something in your life that God's convicted you of that you need to take out, that you need to repent of. I need to change my mind, God. I need to agree with you on this, right? For all of us, for all of us, it takes an incredible amount of humility. It takes an incredible amount of courage. What did it take to get up out of the pigsty and go home? It took faith, but it took big faith. It took big courage, right? In repentance, we do two things. This is the first one. In repentance, we confess our guilt. We say it. Are you ready? I was wrong. Ooh. We might need to stand in front of the mirror and practice that one out loud, right? I was wrong. I sinned. I have sinned. Numbers 21.7 in the story, they said to Moses, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. 
In Luke 15, the prodigal son said, I have sinned against heaven and before you. By the way, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I'll keep saying it because you need to hear it and because I primarily need to hear it. The biggest problem is we don't want to admit it to ourselves. This is why we don't want to confess to each other because I don't want to just, I don't want to admit it to myself, right? First we admit it to ourselves and then we've set the table to experience the joy of forgiveness. Why? Because the father's eagerly watching and waiting for his kids to come home. He just wants his kids home. He's not going to come join you in the pigsty. He wants you to come home. Home is where we're going to live. Luke 15, 20, he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, oh boy, his father saw him and felt compassion. I bet he did. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. Listen, pig slop and all. I'm going to embrace you and kiss you. You probably don't smell very good. But we sure would, wouldn't we? Some of you are praying for that opportunity with your kids. Don't give up. Don't give up. In repentance, we confess our guilt. And then lastly, in repentance, we look to God in faith. We look. This is what's fascinating about the story in Numbers 21. That's all they could do. They couldn't do anything but look. The verb look, Dennis Cole tells us in his commentary, the verb look is actually more correctly translated, listen, to see with belief. It wasn't just that they were, it wasn't just a physical act of looking, they were looking to that serpent with hope. And by the way, the bronze serpent, the copper serpent, this story is absolutely a type of Christ. Jesus would echo that later, right? We must look with faith. Why? Here's what I'm asking you. Listen. Especially like if you're not a church person, like you're far from God, you're not, listen, this is what we're saying. That initial repentance, you can't physically look at the cross. You can't. It's 2,000 years later. It's over. But it's not just, we're not just asking, do you believe that it happened historically? It's beyond that. That's the first step. But you go beyond, I believe that this happened historically, and you look with faith and go, you know what, I believe this is for me. I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to put my weight into this. We can't touch the cross. We can't look with our eyes. We have to look with faith. And so Jesus said in John 3, 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's your type of Christ. That's it. Jesus called it out specifically. This looked forward to a day when Jesus, as much as we despise serpents, Jesus hanging on the cross was despised by almost everyone who saw him. He died a criminal's death. I mean, there was no lower way in their society to go out. And yet, much the same way that they saw the serpent and it was this ugly, horrible, repulsive thing that brought relief and it brought healing, it's what the cross does for you and I. And I'm telling you, 
it's true because I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in the life of so many godly saints. You and I want healing. That's what we're after. I promise you, healing only lies on the other side of repentance. Repentance sets the stage for God to be able to heal us. Because healing is about not us asking God to reorient himself towards us, but us returning in faith and saying, God, you know what? I was wrong about that. You are right about that. I'm going to reorient my thoughts. I'm going to reorient my heart. And I'm going to let the actions flow out of that. But there will be, I'm going to take action. It's not just an intellectual belief. For some of you, you've literally, you've never done that. For you, it's about being far from God and that initial point of repentance where you say, I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm tired of having hope in myself. You want to live with hope? Hope's only found in Jesus Christ. Because you have to put hope. The, the person or the thing that you put hope in has to be trustworthy or else there's no point. And so the gateway is repentance. For many of us in this room, we're believers. And we've taken that initial step of repentance. And yet, there are areas of our life that we need to go and find that rebel area and bring it back to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Bring it back and say, I repent of this. God, I repent of the way that I talk to my husband or wife. I repent of the fact that I don't honor them the way that I vowed that I would do. I repent of the way that I get angry with my kids. I repent of this, this habit in my life that I shouldn't have that's wrong. I don't know what it looks like. But I know for all of us, this is real. This is present. And the crazy thing about the story of the copper serpent is that it really is a reminder, yet another reminder. I feel like we say this every week. It's yet another reminder that even in their rebellion, God had not given up on them. God did not give up on them. And when they repented, he immediately said, okay, here's the way. Here's the way. Moses, make this, put it up. People get to be healed. He's offering healing to us. But the path is repentance. We've got to come home. We've got to come home. And as we live as disciples, we've got to keep coming home. Keep coming back. Keep learning to come home. So we're going to read Psalm 32, 5, and I'm going to give you just a minute to pray together. Um, but first, we're going to read this. David said this in Psalm 32. I acknowledge my sin to you. I acknowledged it. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Hey, hey, listen, listen. Why are we so afraid to do this? Because deep down, we wonder what's going to happen. If we confess our transgression, is that when he nails us? Yeah, you better believe you were wrong and I was right. And I'm going to show you, right? Because some of us have been burned that way by other people. That's not God's response. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you, what does it say? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isn't that beautiful? 
I don't deserve to be forgiven. You don't deserve to be forgiven. But even now, God doesn't want us living in pigsties. He wants us coming home. And he's ready, if we'll repent, he's ready to forgive the iniquity of our sin. So I'm going to give you just a minute to pray, just to yourself right there. I want to ask you to do a couple things. Ask God to give you, here we go, modeled on this psalm, discernment to see your sin, to see it for what it is. got to see it or else there's no point. Give me discernment to see my sin, the courage to admit it, and the faith to look to you for forgiveness.